Good morning. As we gather, let's prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of this song. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you here in the space, as well as those of you worshiping online with us. We're glad that you're here joining with us. On this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy, remembering the words of John 16. 
Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but, you will, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Feel free to join us in worship and stand. Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in real strength and consolation hope of all the earth thou art dear desire of every nation joy of every longing heart be seated. Good morning. Good morning. morning. How is everybody today? Good. Sarah, can I ask you to join me up here for a minute, please? So we want to just take a moment today and to say thank you to Sarah. Sarah has been serving um, here in the Fusion community for over 10 years now. 
and this community and this church has appreciated deeply her leadership. And so we want to take this opportunity just to say thank you to Sarah on behalf of the Hardwick community for all that she's done and for her service and for her leadership that she's provided. So let's say thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right, so this would normally be our Aldea Coffee Sunday here on campus, um, but instead of a personal visit, we've got a video coming up here um, from Aldea Coffee serving the farmers of La Union in Honduras. COVID-19 and hurricanes Eta and Lada have devastated Honduras this year, uh, and we hope that you will join in our efforts to support the rural areas of Honduras. We have a limited supply of one pound bags of coffee for sale in our gathering areas for a reduced price of $13 per bag. This makes a great teacher or stocking stuffer gift. You can also call the church office and arrange to have a bag brought to you or out to your car on Monday through Thursday from 9 to 1. And now a quick video from Aldea. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Andrew Boyd and I work with uh, Aldea Coffee. Uh, we've been working uh, here with you at the church probably over almost the past 10 years, uh, serving coffee directly from farmers we work with in Honduras and working with you on uh, other projects in the communities where our farmers are based in Honduras. Um, this year is looking a little different. Usually um, I come and see you and uh, thank you for drinking coffee all year round and also bring some bags of coffee uh, for you to um, purchase for yourself or friends for gifts for the holiday. Um, unfortunately, we uh, will not be able to do that this year. Um, I am going to um, miss seeing all your smiling faces very much, but I really look forward and hope that uh, by next year um, we will be able to come visit you again. Um, because of this, um, we are putting everything up online. Um, the bags of coffee that come directly from our farmers will be online, as, long, as well as a lot of other um, Aldea stuff that we are, are doing for this year. So um, my encouragement for you is um, just to go check it out at aldeacoffee.com and go to our shop page um, and just see what um, we have uh, up there to offer. Um, although this year has been a lot different and we are doing okay, we are making it as a business, uh, one area that we do have a need is, um, is in the fact that we just have um, served a lot less coffee this year, so um, we have a lot more in inventory, so we are trying to do everything we can to to move this coffee out by the time uh, next harvest in Honduras comes around, so we can purchase the same amount we usually do from farmers. So, uh, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you again next year. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Okay, a couple other other quick announcements. A second, thanks again to everyone for the continued financial support of Hardaway Ministries. Uh, continues to be a, such a huge blessing to experience the ways in which Hardaway regularly and drastically impacts its community, much of which wouldn't be possible without the financial support of you all. So thank you again for your gifts. If you're looking for ways to give, please visit our website at hardawake.com. You can also find other announcements, prayer requests, and all you need to know about Hardaway Ministries there as well. We will be taking communion later on today, for, so for those of you that are at home, if you want to take a second to prep those items, feel free to do so. Now, if you wouldn't mind, please pray with me. Using Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. 
Lord, in a year that's been difficult for so many, for so many reasons, many of us have so many questions. Thank you for the reminder of Psalm 131 to humble ourselves before you, to calm ourselves, to quiet ourselves, and not to concern ourselves with things that only you can control. Thank you for the image of a child in their mother's arms. Help us to be content and to put our hope in you and in you alone. Thank you for Hardawake and all those that play a part in her ministries both here in Holland, Michigan and all over the globe. Lord, as we struggle through this season of COVID-19, there are so many who are dealing with COVID or have lost loved ones because of the virus. Please bring your hope and peace to those families as they press on. Thank you for the young adults, teenagers, and children that help make Hardaway, the Hardaway community so vibrant and exciting. Thank you for the hope, excitement, and energy that they bring as they also play such a huge role in our ministries. I pray for all those students that have had so much taken from them throughout 2020, graduations, celebrations, events, sports, other after-school activities. All these things are such milestones in the lives of our youth, and I pray that we can still find ways to support and encourage our students as they operate through their new normals. I pray, for the fam I pray for families during the season of Advent and Christmas. For so many, normal traditions and family activities are going to look so different. Please help our families to find new and creative ways to celebrate with each other, and even more importantly, to celebrate you. Remind us and help us to be families that always have more room in our homes for Jesus. Please grant healing to those in our communities who are dealing with various med medical issues. Specifically, we pray for Pete Exter and Jim Ronda. Lord, thank you for this time with you and each other today. And even though some of us may be physically apart, bring us closer together in our commitment to you. Thank you for Pastor Bill and his leadership here at Hardwick. I pray that his message today brings your words to our ears, minds, and hearts so that we might better live for you. Amen. Thank you, Nate. And thank you, Fusion. It's good to be uh, across the hallway here. Once again, I trust all of you are aware that um, we have, uh, we'll be calling a congregational meeting to extend a um, call to J.B. Worland. Uh, if you've not heard him preach, uh, we've sent some links out. We can get additional uh, links and other things as part of that. We encourage you to um, take advantage, get to know that, and we'll do the electronic um, voting next week. So that's a big step for Hardawike, for the Worland family, and for Fusion in particular. But do be aware of that. Also, we're navigating COVID. We're moving a lot of services to online. Uh, one will be going out this week at Christmas uh, carols and lessons. Let you remember the, the Christmas carols, the story of the birth of Christ. Our Christmas Eve service will go out online on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So let's navigate together uh, all of these things. Now, Aaron and I have been working through Hebrews and looking at Jesus, the God the Son, and how he is God's anointed and appointed. We see that played out in three specific roles. Last week we looked at uh, the true and perfect pr prophet. This week, the true and perfect priest. So hear the word of God. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then also from chapter 10. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his very son, the one he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, after he had provided purification for sins, that's worth underlying, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Soon he became, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. <laughs> Further in Hebrews. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest, when this priest, the God the Son as priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have committed in writing. That even as you inspired these prophets and apostles and writers and historians and poets, even as you inspired them to write, so now we pray that you would be inspiration and illumination for us. Open our minds and our hearts, lift the ink from the page as it were and apply it to shape us. Give us a great hope to your glory. Guard your people from my brokenness. But make Jesus known. Fill us with great hope. We thank you in this time and pray in his name. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. It's coming up on the new year, and that's a time when I kind of lay out a new schedule for Bible reading and prayer and some things I kind of retool every year. If you're like I have been, haven't you had those years where you think, this is going to be it. I'm going to read from Genesis to Revelation, the whole enchilada. And you start off January 1, Genesis 1. And wow, that's big stuff, creation. Then you start reading about these stories and these people and just amazing things. Particularly, my favorite in Genesis is the story of Joseph. Really inspiring. And then Cecil B. DeMille. You just picture that with Exodus. There's plagues and miracles and people through the Red Sea. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> they start to build the tabernacle and then the priests and the you hit Leviticus after Exodus but you're committed and you keep on going until you hit numbers and then it's just about over haven't you had that experience you're really excited you hit this section about the law sacrifice and the priesthood and you wonder what in the world is that about it's real easy for us as believers in Christ, having seen his glory on the cross, having read the New Testament, and really receiving the gospel of his grace to think, you know, I'm not sure what that's about, and I'm moving on. But I want to tell you something. This is the challenge I faced this week. All of that, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the background and the context for what Hebrews is saying to us today. If we don't understand what's written there, we'll be very susceptible to missing what's written for us here. We can't do without one and really get the other. 
So I struggled with how do I give you all that context, uh, and I finally decided, I don't know, I don't think I will, but I do want to give you some conclusions that can guide us into Hebrews and prepare us for communion today. The first thing I want to say is this, that in the Old Testament, the law with all its sacrifices and the priesthood, all of those things, were never meant to be the solution for our sin. Now that's important because if we think that those were meant to be a solution and they didn't work, well then God had to come up with something else and that would work so we can be done with that. Please don't do that. The gospel of God's grace, which is everything we're committed to preaching here at Hardawike, the gospel of God's grace did not replace the Old Testament sacrifice and priesthood. It's not like that's one way to be a child of God, didn't seem to work well, so now I'll give you a new way. No, not at all. We have to understand what this is pointing to. The law, the sacrifice, and the priesthood were meant to point to the solution, not to be the solution. And that solution is Jesus, God, the Son. Now, again, I can't dig into this, but I do want to give you some rapid-fire, concrete examples of how this works so you can begin to, to see the flow and build as we prepare for communion. When I look at the Old Testament sacrifices, I see that there's a distance between humanity and God. There's a chasm. Something needs to be done. That's the role of the priest. So I read about those sacrifices and I realize there's a problem. Somebody needs to intercede and intervene. I learned that, and so I understand the New Testament in light of that. I read Leviticus and I realize that sin and sacrifice is for everybody. It's interesting, in Leviticus 14, there's a sacrifice for sin, for atonement, that is for the wealthy and one that is for the poor, but everybody is involved. And so I realize that all of us have need for a Savior. Regardless of economics, we need to enter in and participate and understand. Here's a third thing, really important, to, uh, if we're going to understand what this teaches us about Jesus. It's this, that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were never meant to be sufficient payment for sin. We read that in the text this morning. They were never sufficient payment for sin. They were not intended to be, you know, like a fine if I were to get a speeding ticket on my way home, they wouldn't put me in jail because I'd be too expensive to feed. They would just give me a fine and that would pay the debt, if you will. Those sacrifices were not meant like a fine to pay the debt of our sin. They were instead the opportunity of an expression of faith that God was the one who forgave. I'll make this sacrifice, knowing that a sacrifice needs to be made, it's you who can forgive. Listen to the Psalms. Psalm 51, David is coming in confession for his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. He doesn't come there saying, oh Lord, accept the sacrifice, the payment for my sin. Even less does he say, boy God, that was a big sin. I'll have to give you a big sacrifice. He says, I come to you, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. You're the one who can do it. These sacrifices are meant to say we've got to come to God. He, by his grace, is the one who gives it. Listen to uh, Psalm 25:11. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. 
You don't see the sacrifice being, okay, you've sacrificed that bull, now you're done. It's paid for. Conscience clear, all good, get back to, oh, time to sacrifice another one. I could read those thoughts. What the sacrifice meant were we come to God who forgives. There's blood, there's cost, it involves us. I was amazed to discover years ago, you know, I would often kind of let myself off because of motives. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. Did you know that there's a sacrifice in the Old Testament for unintended sin? I don't get off the hook because my intentions were not bad. When I wound somebody, when I commit sin, there is a price to be paid. So there's a sacrifice for unintended sin. My good motivations don't get me off the hook. Those are all things we can learn and understand about Jesus. They enrich our understanding. Finally, the one I'll point to is this. Hebrews 9.22 says it. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So friends, the law and the sacrifice, the priesthood, all those things were established to help us understand Jesus more richly and fully and deeply. Without them, we run the risk of not understanding the gospel of grace. That's why we can't just forget them and go on. Concrete example. Very easy, and I've listened and talked with folks as we've kind of worked through this. Oh, all that blood sacrifice, that's disgusting. That's primitive religion. I don't understand. I, I don't like it. Oh, that's awful. I prefer a God who is all about love. So no sacrifice. Let's talk love. Forget that blood. I want to suggest to you, friends, that blood is part of it because that's what Jesus shed at the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. A Christ with no cross and no blood is a different gospel. So we need these to fully understand the gospel. What this teaches us is that Jesus is the true and perfect high priest, that all of what they pointed to inadequately, Jesus fulfills completely. That's why we've seen this theme running through every week. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't take Jesus in his sacrifice and add something to it in order to be right with God. It's Jesus plus nothing. I want to dig through quickly some scriptures here in Hebrews. Again, we're just meditating through this word, and you'll see how Jesus himself is the true and perfect, the full, the adequate, the one, the only. Add something and you lose that thing. I love how it says in the very beginning, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had made purification for sins, he sat down. It was done. He wasn't going to come back and do that again and again and again. It was perfect. It was complete. He made purification for sin through his death and resurrection at the cross. He sits down, done, done. It's amazing. Jesus is fully human. That's key to understanding this. In Hebrews 2.17, for this reason, 
he, that is God the Son, had to be made like them, that is the people that he saved, you and me, had to bridge that divide himself, fully human in every way, it says, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus, God the Son, is fully human, he can make atonement. There is forgiveness of sin. Not just new teaching about how to live, not just inspiration to be a better you. There is atonement for the sin that mars who we are and grows out of that brokenness. We see, too, that Jesus is the one who, tempted as we are, is able to help us in temptation. How is it that you do battle with the temptations you face? Can you even name the temptations? You know, there are patterns of brokenness in every life I've ever shared and gotten to know, certainly in mine. Patterns where I'm, I'm susceptible to stepping away from trusting God, from, from entertaining thoughts and desires that I really shouldn't have, that will bring destruction into my life, that will hurt other people. How do you deal with temptation? Well, the biblical thing, and I, boy, I'd love to do a seminar on this, can't do it in a sermon. In the temptations you face, it's to Jesus himself that comes grace to deal with the temptation. That's where you go. He's made a way that way is Jesus, Paul would say. So he sat down, it's done. He's fully human, and he gives us a clear conscience as high priest. Hebrews 9:14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, there it is, the blood of Christ who through the eternal Son offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. Cleanse us. I'm a different person because of his work and his sacrifice. Finally, we are being made whole and being made holy. Chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he, that is God the Son, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. God is at work to change who we are into who he has called us to be. Jesus plus nothing, our true and perfect high priest, opens the way, gives the life that we earnestly desire and were created for. When I was much younger and beginning to sort through what a call to ministry would look like, one of the things that was really close to my heart was, what kind of church do I want to lead? Why do I want to invest my life into seeing God make? What would it be? And even as I met with other friends and we pray and talk, there'd be this idea, okay, we want to make sure that there's authentic conversion, that people are coming to faith, not just going through the routine. We want people well-discipled, that they might understand the Scripture, develop a deep life in prayer. We want to have people set free from the deceptions of the world to, to live simply so that we can live generously to do ministry out of incarnation. My wife and I moved into a neighborhood in New Orleans, Holly Grove, that we might share life with these people. Very different than us in one sense, but very like us in another. And so I dreamed about what would the perfect church be? I want to tell you, over the years of pursuing this, I've come to see more and more that it's Jesus plus nothing, and that's everything. Jesus plus nothing. I'm called to connect people to the Savior, the true and perfect high priest who is himself 
all that we need, who gives in and of himself all that we need and all that we could be. He'll guide. If I can connect people to the Savior, God will guide what the church ought to be. He'll give gifts for ministry. You know, if God is calling us to a particular ministry, you'll begin to see these gifts emerge in the life of the congregation. For my church plant, I was involved in a church plant outside of Washington, D.C. for a number of years. We realized we had opportunity and gifting to do jail ministry. And so suddenly this whole church was deeply invested in a regional jail in our community. It was extraordinary. I still have contact with that. When I was in Mount Pleasant, God raised up gifts within the body. As I began to preach Christ, he raised up gifts and opportunities and people. We had a children's ministry. We had more children at our vacation Bible school than we had people in the church. Can you imagine a vacation Bible school with 200 adult volunteers? Boy, it was a work of God because why, by focusing on Jesus plus nothing, we had everything we needed to do and to be all that he called us to. I want to close again by trying to give you a concrete example of what, when we understand Jesus plus nothing, Jesus the true and perfect high priest, what it means to live in light of that. And I want to tell you about a guy who's been a deep influence on my life across decades now. I'm that old and he's older still. Um, this man, and I'll show you the first book. When I was a college student, I read this book by John. It's called Let Justice Roll Down, uh, published in 1976. John was born in 1930 in rural Mississippi, and that's a hard place for an African-American to be, if you can imagine. He saw his brother come back from World War II as a veteran and be murdered, shot, and killed by authorities in the street after World War II. John was never able to get past third grade in the educational opportunities for him. And there came a time where he had opportunity to get out of there, and he left, moved to Pasadena, the Los Angeles area, began to work, was fruitful, hardworking guy, self-educated, driven, got to work, got married, had kids. And one day, his oldest son, Spencer, uh, Spencer started bringing home papers from the children's ministry on Sunday, and then a vacation Bible school. And, one of the things John had left behind with him in Mississippi was not only all that mess, but he left behind church. And it's emotionalism, it's moralism, it's up and it's down, it's uselessness in light of the heartache he saw. But Spencer kept bringing his stuff back, and John would look at it. He, he would tell me stories about this. I, I saw they were talking about Paul, and I said, what makes Paul live? Paul could face all this and not miss a beat. Paul had something that I didn't. And I eventually discovered, John would say, that it was a life fully surrendered to Jesus. So he began to investigate. Long story short, gave his life to Christ, was discipled by that church in Pasadena in terms of how to walk with God in obedience and in strength. And in the midst of that, John called, uh, Jesus called John and Vera May to go back to Mississippi. Would you want to go back to where your brother had been murdered? where you had been hard-pressed. But because Jesus, the true perfect high priest, had given new life to John, renewal, John knew he had to follow that call. So here's a picture. I mean, this is, this is old times, friend. This is the late 60s. John and Vera May loaded up the car, loaded up their kids, 
And off they went, back to Mendenhall, Mississippi. And in that church, he started doing ministry with youth and children, got involved, was soon preaching, and they were investing in people's lives, talking about the saving power of a true and perfect high priest. There's a powerful story, and I both read it and heard John talk about it. He and some workers in the ministry were coming back from an event, and they got pulled over by the local sheriff. They were arrested without any charges at that point, taken to jail. And, you know, I've read about John McCain and Hanoi Hilton. That was torture. So I'm going to use this word. John was tortured in that jail. He was beaten. It's a story I can't tell from here. It's in the book. But John looks at that moment when he could look in the face of that sheriff through the blood and through the searing pain, and he could realize that's what happens when a life is separated from Jesus, when a life begins to live for itself, when a life has hatred take over it and fear. That's what people do. That's what I could be apart from Jesus at the cross. He saw in the face of that torturer what he might be apart from Jesus. And in that moment, even as he was tortured, he was reconciled. Now, things went on, and they, there was legal action, there was a lawsuit, there was a trial. It was dealt with. But because John saw what he might be apart from Jesus, he renewed to stay focused on Christ, the center and the life giver. Out of their ministry grew a, a medical center, med students that I went to school with served there. There was a feeding program and a housing ministry. They began to do tutoring and education. Sounded like Neighbors Plus to me. I mean, amazing things were going on. He would speak. He would draw in resources. He would teach, but always in Christ, everything else flows. Jesus at the center. There are two powerful outcomes, and I'd point to this. This is his latest book. John's an elderly saint right now, and this book, One Blood, he talks about how all people, you know, we're big about dividing people up into various groups, but every person on the planet, we might think theologically about the image of God, and that's true, but we can look realistically every person on the planet shares blood. I give blood every couple of months, and my blood can be life for somebody who voted for somebody else than me. My blood can bring life to someone of a different race or a different gender, someone with a different story, different wounds, different hopes. We're united in one blood, and we're made whole by that one blood, Jesus. You see, with Jesus as the true priest, there is a renewal of life, and out of that renewal comes reconciliation. With Jesus, the true and perfect high priest, there flows new life, and new life flows. The reason we come to the table is to be reminded once again of our brokenness, of the blood that is our provision, because he is the sufficient, true and perfect high priest. Jesus plus nothing will move and create everything and all that we ever need. Let me pray for you. Jesus.
Father, I pray that you would awaken us by the power of your Holy Spirit in the written word of the text and in my fumbling and pointing to the cross and an overwhelming sense of the majesty of Jesus that he alone is sufficient. That those things we often think we can't live without, we can live without as we rest in you. Thank you that as you work to change who we are, you work through us to change the world you've placed us in. Thank you that this true and perfect high priest brings us a new and transformed life. Thank you for the truth of Jesus plus nothing is our hope. And in him, we have all things. For we make our prayer in his mighty name and all of God's people sit together. Amen? Amen. The writer of Hebrews says this, How much more then will the blood of Christ, that blood from the cross, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will that cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? We gather here this morning with the bread and with the cup connected in a way beyond our ability to even grasp fully to the cross and what Jesus has done. For it was on the night in which he was betrayed, Paul would tell the church that he planted in Corinth, that I received from the Lord what I've also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this bread is now my body, which is broken for you. It's marvelous how the things that God speaks to us are true even when they're beyond our understanding. Isn't it amazing? Take this and eat. In the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup. Now it was the cup in the Passover meal that gave the head of household opportunity to speak about the blood of a lamb that was shed. And he poured that cup. He told about that lamb and he gave thanks. And he said, this cup is now a new covenant made in my blood once and for all. And so Paul writes, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then we ought to eat and drink of the cup in a worthy manner, lest we be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Friends, remember the gospel. We come here not because we've earned a way, but because he has opened a door. He invites us to come on his terms. Jesus plus nothing. To come in a worthy manner to the table means I come trusting in this, in Jesus alone. And so for all you who labor and are heavy burdened, Jesus writes, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We come because he is the way, and we receive what he is giving. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you've taken this, which is very simple, but very concrete and real. You've promised that you will meet your people here, that by faith we will receive your grace, be renewed to live renewed will be agents of reconciliation 
to every place you would call us. And so in this moment, Father, guide and fill us. Take this which is simple and be present to your people, we pray in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Now, let me kind of lead you through as we partake. And those of you who are online with the recording, I hope you've set elements beside you. Just uh, walk with us as well. For those of you here, we've had the little single packet. I'm going to ask you to pull off the first cellophane, and you'll see the little white wafer. Uh, just like this. This is the bread. I'll uh, ask that we take, take it together. This is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. Take and eat. in a similar way, you find that second and just pull back the little aluminum top about halfway. You don't want to take it all off. But when you have that, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink ye all of it. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us that you never said, get your life together, and then maybe you can come eat with me. You ran as we came back. And you dressed us and you brought us in. And for those of us who were like older brothers who said, his life isn't together, you reminded us that we're at the table because of you too. So whether younger brothers or older brothers, we gather around this table because of what Jesus did. Jesus plus nothing equals all we could ever need, all we could ever want, all we could ever hope for. Help us to live out of that into families and into school and into businesses, into our community. We thank you that you alone are our hope, our only true God. Thank you for your presence and your ministry to people this day. Receive our praise. Remind us of your grace. I invite you to stand and worship along with us. Oh, oh. 
consumes like fire. Now go with these words from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. What are the glory consumes like fire? What are the power can 